Chapter Thirty Five of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirty Five Into the Mist. Our troops had, we found, withdrawn from the burning city and were encamped about a mile away, taking a well earned rest and watching with satisfaction the destruction of the once powerful capital of the Pirate of the Niger. The presence of Leola, together with the announcement of the discovery of the treasure of the Sanams that we made to Kona secretly, caused him the wildest delight. His barbaric instinct overcame him, and seizing his sphere he executed a kind of war-dance around us, bestowing upon us the most adulatory phrases of the Dagamba vocabulary. Afterwards he addressed the assembled soldiers, omitting at my desire all mention of the jewels of Mo and three days later, having secured all the gems and golden ornaments, together with Samory's hidden wealth, we set forth on our triumphant return to the mysterious far-off land. Rapidly and pleasantly we accomplished the long journey, recrossing the treacherous way of the thousand steps without a single mishap, and ascended to the lofty plateau of Omar's kingdom, until, high up in the gray morning mist, we saw looming before us with almost spectral indistinctness the gigantic battlements and domes of the city in the clouds. On ascending the rope steps at the gate of Mo a few days previously, we had ascertained that the expedition to the Hambori Mountains had been entirely successful, for the enemy had been met in the pass by the defenders and mercilessly overwhelmed and slaughtered, against the lightweight Maxim guns, weighing only about twenty-five pounds each, and firing six hundred to seven hundred shots per minute with an effective range of two miles, the old-fashioned rifles and field-pieces of the force under the traitor Kuwaga had been powerless, hence the whole expedition had been utterly routed, followed up after their flight and massacred almost to a man, Kuwaga himself being shot dead by Nero while strenuously endeavoring to rally his men for a final onslaught. Omar, at the head of his victorious army, had re-entered the city only the day before our arrival. Therefore, on our return, we found ourselves in the midst of feasting and merrymaking of a most enthusiastic character. Little wonder was it that when the news of the complete victory we had secured spread through the city, the joy of the people knew no bounds, for especially welcome was the information that, in addition to utterly destroying Samory City, we had secured the whole of his treasure. Kona, Leola, and myself held back the fact that we had also recovered the stolen jewels, and we also took elaborate precautions that the knowledge of Leola's safety should not be conveyed prematurely to Omar. During the formal welcome that the young Naba, resplendent in his magnificent bejeweled robes of state, and surrounded by his sages and officers, accorded us at the great palace gate, now fully restored, Leola held back, hiding herself not until evening when i was sitting with omar in his luxurious private pavilion after eating a sumptuous meal served on the royal dishes of chased gold i told him confidentially of the recovery of the lost jewels impossible scars he cried in english starting suddenly to his feet where did you find them how brief words were required to explain how i had discovered them hidden in samory's secret cavern beyond the lion's lair I understood that only the wealth of the old Arab's Kasbah was hidden there, he exclaimed quickly. This news is indeed as astounding as it is welcome. 
your subjects are unaware that your treasure has ever been removed from Mo. Therefore I have not enlightened them, I answered. Come with me and see if you recognize any of the jewels. Eagerly he followed me into a small adjoining apartment where the loot had been deposited, and as we opened pack after pack he uttered ejaculations of surprise and complete gratification, recognizing in the recovered gems the wonderful incomparable heirlooms of his royal house. He turned to thank me when we had finished, and as he did so I placed my hand firmly on his arm, saying in a serious voice, "'In addition to these, Omar, I have also recovered a jewel of even far greater worth than all this magnificent collection, one that will shine as the brightest and most beautiful gem in the diadem of Mo. A genuine look of bewilderment crossed his pale refined features for an instant as he answered, I really don't understand, Scars. No jewel could be of greater intrinsic value than the treasure of the Sanams. What is it? For answer, Leola, a veritable vision of classic beauty, in her loose white robe, gold embroidered at the hem, and broad girdle of fiery rubies, stepped from behind the heavy curtain of blue silk where she had been concealed, and stood before him. Rigid in speechless amazement he stood for a moment. Then, recognizing that his lost love was actually present, alive and well, he bounded towards her, and with a loud cry of joy embraced her, brushing back her soft hair and covering her white open brow with passionate kisses. It was indeed a joyous reunion, but as I turned intending to withdraw discreetly and leave them alone together, to continue their exchange of confidences, my friend promptly called me back, saying, "'Stay, Scars, old fellow!' Let me hear from your own lips the solution of this mystery of the return of the dead to life. Truly you have recovered a jewel worth to me a hundred times all the treasures of Mo. Crossing again towards him, I described briefly the revolting circumstances in which I had discovered her, a harem slave of our Arab enemy, how we had both narrowly escaped being burned to death, our subsequent adventures in the damp subterranean burrow, and the finding of the secreted treasure. Leola herself also made one discovery, I said in conclusion, laughing and turning towards her. Gently disengaging herself from her lover's fond arms, she went behind the curtain where she had hidden, and on coming forth again held in her slim white hands a round package still securely wrapped in untanned hide, which she handed to Omar. "'The rock diadem of the Naya!' he cried in joy when his trembling eager hands had opened it, the most valued of all our possessions. Then, turning towards Leola, he tenderly placed upon her head the historic mark of royalty, saying in his own tongue, Now that the days of our sorrow have passed, like the shadow of a cloud upon a sunlit sea, we will be wed as soon as it is meet for us so to do, and upon thy brow thou shalt rest the diadem of the first Naya the upright queen to whom Mo oweth her magnificence, her power, and her present prosperity. Thou shalt sit beside me upon the emerald throne, thou shalt be known as the Naya Leola. Again he embraced her with ineffable tenderness, and with her handsome head pillowed heavily upon his shoulder, her breast heaved, and from her deep blue fathomless eyes there fell tears of joy. At last, having received the warmest thanks from my old companion through many misfortunes, and from the woman he loved, 
I turned and sought the sage Goliba, to whom I told the good news of his daughter's safety and betrothal to Omar. Three days later the marriage took place amid the most gorgeous pomp and the wildest popular rejoicings, the strange ceremony being performed by the high priest of the Temple of Zamara beneath the golden figure of the crocodile god that hung suspended above the emerald throne. Feast and merrymaking continued throughout a whole moon, and the mystic city, decorated with flags and flowers, was agog by day and brilliantly illuminated by night. Never in the long history of the ancient kingdom had such costly banquets been served. Never had the royal entertainments been on such lavish scale. Never had the sounds of revelry contained such a true genuine ring, for never before had the people been so happy and content. Though on the day of the marriage Leola was solemnly crowned with the wonderful rock diadem of Mo, I, as keeper of the royal treasure, allowed no word to go forth regarding the theft and recovery of the Sanam jewels, which had already been deposited in their original hiding-place beneath the lake. Samory's treasurer was, however, given to Leola by Omar, and she ordered half of it to be distributed to the poor, an act of generosity that won for her intense popularity. Her action was, she told me in confidence, a thank-offering to Zamara for her timely rescue from a terrible fate. Conclusion Samory, the truculent old Arab, escaped. By some means he eluded us in the dark intricacies of that subterranean way, and groping along in a similar manner to ourselves he evidently fled to the forest, for he has since collected the scattered remnant of his nomadic bands, and although he has never since troubled us, yet he now and then commits depredations on the borders of the English and French spheres of influence. Ere long he will overstep the bounds and one power or another will certainly send a punitive expedition to crush and humiliate him, as they have crushed the arrogant Prempe of Ashante. During many months the means by which the theft of the treasure of the Sanams had been effected remained an inscrutable mystery, and it was only on the day previous to my departure from the mysterious land for England, or rather more than six months ago, that the problem was solved and in a manner entirely unexpected. In preparation for the annual feast in honor of the crocodile god, I had occasion to go secretly and alone to the submerged treasure-house in order to obtain certain jewels which tradition decreed should be worn on that day by the reigning sovereign. I had emptied the lake, unsealed the cover of the well-like aperture, locked the mechanism fatal to intruders, descended and obtained what I sought, when on ascending I was dismayed to find water pouring in upon me in increasing volumes. Upwards I climbed, struggling desperately against the inrushing flood thundering down upon me, and was aghast to find when I gained the surface that the sluice-gates that held back the waters feeding the lake had been opened, and that it was rapidly refilling. Instantly it occurred to me to replace the cover, and in breathless haste I succeeded in screwing it down and dashing for my life back to the bank, the water being up to my armpits ere I reached it. When next second I glanced upward to the mound where the mechanism was concealed, I saw standing thereon the wild-looking figure of a woman, with her soiled, tattered garments fluttering in the wind. Her long, scraggy arms were raised high above her head, and she was crying aloud to me. Without a moment's hesitation 
I dashed forward up the hill to secure the person who had apparently discovered the secret of the treasure-house, but on approaching her closely I suddenly halted in astonishment. The wretched, fiendish-looking virago, upon whose face were the most hideous distortions of insanity I had ever witnessed, was none other than the once powerful tyrannical autocrat, the great white queen. Across her narrow withered brow, brown almost as a toad's back, a single wisp of thin grayed hair strayed. In her eyes was the unmistakable light of madness, while the nails of her outstretched fingers were as sharp and long as the talons of some beast of prey. So weird and repulsive-looking was she that I stood before her dumbfounded. Ah! she shrieked to me exultantly in a harsh, rasping voice. I have killed them, drowned them all, the accursed spies and renegades. The traitor Kuaga captured me as I fled for life from the city gate, and promising me release and safe escort from this land of evil spirits in return for the secret of the treasure-house. I recklessly gave it to him, on condition that his armed men should assist me to recover my lost position as Queen of Mo. I promised to forget the past and take him back into my favor. But, securing my jewels, he conveyed them to his Arab master at Kusan, and left me alone, deposed and ruined. May Samara crush and torture him, the traitor! Then, turning with wild gesture towards the lake, now a great sheet of placid water, her hands clutched convulsively, her eyes starting as if she saw, in her disordered imagination, a host of her enemies, she cried. This, at last, is the hour of my revenge. I have drawn the lever, and while they were below with you they were doomed like rats in a hole. And she gave vent to a short, dry laugh, exclaiming, They refused to assist me to tear the usurper from the emerald throne, so I have killed them. My work is finished. I have reigned and have been deposed. I have striven for the people and have been rewarded by their curses. I have, at this moment, Determined to carry her back to the city, I sprang forward and gripped her lean, bony arms. With colossal strength engendered by insanity, she fought and bit, shrieking and showering imprecations upon me, it requiring all my strength to hold her. But presently she became quiet again, uttering long strings of rapid, incoherent words that plainly showed the hopeless state of her mind. Thus walking, we gained the edge of the lake, and having passed the cascades were skirting the river when, with a suddenness that took me completely by surprise, she slipped from my grasp and, with a wild exclamation, dashed towards the warm, oozy bank. Next second I noticed that the waters were alive with the sacred reptiles, but ere I could reach her she threw up her long, thin arms and, uttering an unearthly yell, plunged in. A dozen hideous, hungry jaws snapped viciously as she cast herself amongst them, and an instant later, where, with a shriek of horror, she disappeared forever beneath the waters, the swiftly flowing current was tinged red by long streaks of human blood. In an excess of religious fervor she had sacrificed herself to her god Zamara. This is no epilogue. Little there remains to tell. Under the beneficent rule of Omar and Leola, power, prosperity, and contentment have now returned to that mysterious ancient realm within which I had been the first stranger to set foot. As principal official of the ruler of the land that, although familiar to me, is still a mystery to the Royal Geographical Society, I left for England a few months ago 
on a mission to the greatest white queen, Victoria, offering her assistance in her effort to crush the cruel sway of our mutual enemies, the Ashantes. Our offer was cordially accepted, and the successful issue of the campaign which caused the downfall of Prempeh is now well known. Before returning to resume my duties as governor of Mo, the far-off spectral city in the clouds, into which no stranger may enter, I have, however, written down at the instigation of the publishers, whose name this volume bears upon its title page, this plain tale of travel, treason, and treasure as a record of the first successful journey to the high-up, inaccessible land of the Naya, the once dreaded Great White Queen. This is the end of The Great White Queen by William LeCue. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks dot com.